0: It's time for Northwestern Outdoors Radio, the show focusing on fishing, hunting, outdoor recreation, destinations, and conservation in the region where you live and play. Northwestern Outdoors is brought to you by Max Lure Company, Sportsman's Warehouse, and Wallowa County. And now, let's see what's going on in
1: the field and on the water with your host, John Cruz. Well, the Eastside Oregon Trout Opener happened last weekend, and so did the Washington State Lowland Lakes Trout Opener. And... Steve Caramile with the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife was able to give me some information on how that went. According to Steve, catch rates were excellent in some lakes and decent in others. However, that weird weather we've been having this month did affect the fishing. Many of the lakes were much cooler than usual. Some were still measuring in the low 40s in temperature. But Caramile says the fishing should be improving in the next few weeks, so don't worry, you didn't miss out. On opening day, Creel checkers talked to 2,432 anglers. They caught a total of 7,794 fish. So yes, fishing was pretty decent in the state of Washington for the 200-some lakes that opened up for the Lowland Lakes opener. This week on the show, we'll talk a little bit more about fishing when we check in with Bob Loomis with Max Lure. He's going to tell you about a great lure to use for walleye fishing called a new and improved lure that should catch even more walleye than some of their lures do. And then we're going to turn the topic to some other subjects, and we're talking with three wonderful female guests. The first is Amanda Rand. She is going to join us in a few minutes to tell you all about the Wallawa County Fly-In and Air Show coming up in July. You don't have to be a pilot to attend this. It's open to the public, and if you are into aviation, you've got to attend this, and it's in Joseph, an absolutely beautiful setting for this event. Another woman we'll talk to is Valerie Roberts. She's with Washington State Parks, and they are looking for volunteer park hosts. And we're not just talking about the park hosts that are at the campgrounds that sell you ice and wood. No, we're talking about all sorts of opportunities that could have you leading folks on nature walks, giving interpretive talks, working in information centers, and even opportunities to host at marine parks as long as you have a liveaboard boat. If you're on a sabbatical now, or maybe you're retired and you've got an RV, you're going to want to listen to this one. And then there's my friend Kristen McGill. She's a single mom who's an avid hunter and angler. And we're going to pick her brain about... How she goes about mentoring others when it comes to women, when it comes to kids, to get them into the sports of hunting and fishing. She's got a very unique perspective I think you're going to enjoy hearing about. Throw in our Sportsman's Warehouse trivia question of the week, where you get a chance to win a $25 gift card from America's Premier Outfitter. And as usual, we've got a whole bunch of the outdoors coming your way. So... Let's get it started, like we normally do, with another edition of Sportsman's Spotlight with David Sparks, brought to you by the Ag Information Network of the West.
2: Dams and Chinook, David Sparks, Sportsman Spotlight. For as long as I have been doing Sportsman's Spotlight, dams in the Snake River have been very controversial. Conservationists claim that dams have decimated salmon populations. New claims, however, suggest that dams have little impact on the survival rate of migrating Chinook. Scientists at British Columbia-based Kintama Research became suspicious of such claims. David Welch, president of Kintama, says dams may not be the Chinook's problem.
3: Here in British Columbia, where I live, the Fraser River is the second largest river on the west coast of North America. There's no dams, and this year, unfortunately, we have had historic low returns. They've been grinding down for decades, and they're actually down now to the lowest returns on record in over 100 years. There's still room for debate, but I think the needle has swung to most folks accepting that the majority of the problems, the survival problems, are happening in the ocean.
2: Welch says that he's never really argued against freshwater travel being the problem for Chinook. Until recently.
3: You know, it makes sense, and all of us that are conservationists, you know, hunters or fishermen, you know, are taught that from an early age. But where the challenge comes is that the big drivers are happening in the ocean, not so much in fresh water. And we may be getting some kind of distorted policy decisions because of that lack of appreciation of what's happening in the ocean.
2: So what is happening? Time will tell. You've probably been told that to reach a millennial farmer, you have to go digital. Hmm. Facebook. listening to this station featuring the Ag Information Network News. If you'd like to deliver information about your terrific product or service, give us a call and we'll connect you directly with our community of loyal farmer listeners. Reach real farmers right here, right now, as they listen to what is important to their farm operation. They trust us, they'll trust you. Hope you enjoyed Sportsman Spotlight. I'm David Sparks.
1: Sportsman's Warehouse is America's premier outfitter. Full of the gear you need to succeed
4: this hunting season. Firearms, ammo, archery equipment, decoys, clothing, boots, and more.
2: Find a location near you or shop online today at sportsmans.com.
1: You're back in with Northwestern Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. Our next stop is Joseph, Oregon. The reason? Because the Wallowa County Fly-In and Air Show is going to be taking place there Friday, July 8th, Saturday, July 9th. With us here to tell you more about it is Amanda Ran, who's helped organizing the event. Amanda, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So this event is taking place at the Joseph State Airport. It's sponsored by the Northeast Oregon Aviation Foundation. It's been going on a few years now, but it's really grown quite a bit. Tell us a little bit about the history of this air show.
5: It has. So Wallawa County has a wonderful group of pilots. And back in 2011 or so, they started getting together and just having a pilot breakfast every summer. And it just grew every year. In 2013, they kind of made it an official event and started inviting the public to it. Then in 2015, the Northeast Oregon Aviation Foundation was created, and they just continued on. So, yeah, they just created this event and continued the tradition, always open to the public, inviting more and more acts and aviation-related businesses and people. So now it is a full two-day event.
1: And it looks like there's a lot going on. We're going to break it down for you, folks. It's, again, happening Friday, July 8th, Saturday, July 9th, and you don't have to be an aviator to attend. If you just love aircraft and aviation, this is going to be a great event. So let's start off with Friday. You're going to have a a lot of the people participating in the fly-in are coming in that day. So you're going to see lots of different planes coming into the airstrip there. at Joseph, what else is going on on Friday?
5: So on Friday, they kind of kick off the evening with a soul demonstration. For those who are not in aviation, it's a short takeoff and landing demonstration. You're up close and personal. You watch these airplanes come in at the slowest speed possible. So it's really neat to see how things are in the air. You know, it just slows it down and gives you a good look. After the stool demonstration we kind of jump right into our banquet dinner. The Lions Club helps put this on with a local caterer who's part of the Lions Club. After the banquet we go into a live auction. We've got a lot of wonderful items this year. We've got Gift baskets from big companies like Flight Outfitters, um, Avimco Insurance is donating this year. We've got numerous museums that have reached out with tickets. Um, the Wham out of Hood River, Evergreen Air Museum where the Spruce Goose is located in McMinnville, uh-huh. also Pacific Northwest Aval History Museum up out of Whidbey Island. Yeah, so a lot of wonderful stuff. Um, All of our local businesses usually chip in and support this auction, too.
1: And I presume that all the proceeds are benefiting the Northeast Oregon Aviation Foundation?
5: They do. So everything goes back into the Aviation Foundation, and they utilize the proceeds from this event and others to promote various aviation programs within our county. Okay. You know, um, there's kids at the local Joseph High School that are part of this. And in the past, um, they can apply for scholarships through the Aviation Foundation.
1: Well, fantastic. Well, let's move to Saturday. That's the big day. And I love the way it kicks off with a pancake breakfast from 7 to 10 a.m. I guess I should ask, what's admission to the air show and the fly-in?
5: So admission to the air show itself is $5 per person. The breakfast is $10 per person. Kids 10 and under, the fee is waived as long as they're with an adult.
1: Okay, and I understand that the National Anthem is not just your normal National Anthem. Kind of special, it kicks off at 8 a.m. What's going to happen there?
5: It is. So in the past, we have always had kind of a flyover with an L-39. But this year, we've got Sky Down Skydiving out of Caldwell, jumping with an 8- 1,500-square-foot American flag.
1: Wow. Okay. So they are
5: going to be coming down during this national anthem.
1: That will be something to see, and that's a great way to kick off the air show. You've got some pretty impressive planes and pilots are going to be part of that. Why don't you go ahead and, and talk a little bit about that?
5: We do. So this year we're going to welcome back the West Coast Ravens. They're a group of Vans RVs that do a formation fly. They've been here in a big part of this air show since it started. The only years I think they miss out are years with bad weather, so we're excited to get them back this year. Then we have Undaunted Air Shows. They're going to be back for their second year. Really high energy act. They've got two pilots, both flying, Vans RVs also. Then this year, what's going to be new is Brad Worston in his MXSR. He's going to blow everyone away. It's so high energy. This aircraft is amazing. We actually got to see it down in Arizona this winter, and I've never seen anything like it myself.
1: Well, that sounds like all sorts of fun, but in addition to seeing the planes in the air, you're going to have some pretty impressive historical planes on the ground as part of a static display. Why don't you tell us about some of those? Yeah,
5: so the static planes that we have lined up this year so far, we've got a Navy N3N, beautiful biplane. We've got an Howard DGA. We've got a classic Cessna 195. And then we've got so much on the horizon that we're hoping we can get in. The Miss Doll, a Polonka oh, yes. CH-400 from your neck of the woods.
1: Yes, it is. I get to see that from time to time. When we have Memorial Day and Veterans Day events, usually it does a flyover. So that is a really cool plane, folks. Bright red and it's reconstructed plane. The claim to fame for the Miss Doll folks, is that it was flown from Japan across the Pacific Ocean, first trans trans-Pacific flight without stopping, and it crash-landed in East Wenatchee, Washington. And it was Herndon and Pangborn, and the airport in East Wenatchee is now Pangborn Airport. So there you go. The Mississippi doll was uh, reconstructed out of that, and it's a beautiful plane, and I hope you do get it down there.
5: Yeah, absolutely agreed. We've had it in the past, and we always look forward to it. They put on a great little educational display with it.
1: Speaking of educational displays, you've got an educational hangar. What's going to be in there?
5: We do. So the local aviation program up at Joseph Charter School, countywide program, they help us facilitate this education hangar. They bring down a couple of their simulators so kids can get a feel. They can see what it's like in the air. They are talking about having some drones this year for kids to either build or fly. The younger kids, paper airplanes. Who doesn't love paper airplanes?
1: <laughs> I agree. I still do. <laughs>
5: exactly. Even the adults like to go make them and throw them. So let's see. A big part of the education hanger is if the kids attend and they make it all the way through the programs that Joseph kids have put together, they are eligible for a discovery flight the next day.
1: Oh, that would be a ton of fun and I still remember taking our kids on flights like that at our local air show and they absolutely loved it so that is fantastic we're starting to run short on time but folks as you just heard you don't have to be an aviator to really have a great time at the Wallawa County Fly In and Air Show. The dates again Friday, July 8th, Saturday, July 9th. The backdrop for this airport is just beautiful. You got the Wallawa Mountains there. It's going to be in summer, it's going to be absolutely gorgeous there. And It's just a great excuse to head to Northeast Oregon and one of the most beautiful places you're going to find the entire Northwest. Again, it's the Wallawa County Fly-In and Air Show. The website to go to to find out more is wallowacountyflyin.com. And if you're looking for accommodations and restaurants and more, go to the Wallawa County Chamber website. You'll find that at wallowacountychamber.com. Amanda, thanks so much for sharing this with us today on Northwestern Outdoors Radio.
5: Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having us, John.
6: Come to Oregon's Wallawa County for outdoors adventure. Hike, ride, paddle, fish, or sightsee to your heart's content. And then visit one of our wonderful towns, whether it be Joseph with its beautiful bronze statues, our county seat and enterprise, or one of our charming small towns like Wallawa, Imnaha, or Troy, where you can eat, shop, and sleep before continuing your adventure the next day. Plan your visit now at WallawaCountyChamber.com. That's WallawaCountyChamber.com.
0: with more of the great outdoors on Northwestern Outdoors Radio with John Cruz. It's that time
1: again. It's time for another Max Minute, brought to you every week by Max Lure. With us again, Bob Loomis. Bob, welcome aboard. Thank you, John. Bob, I understand you went fishing out at Banks Lake in eastern Washington with Richie Harrod, host of the Northwest Outdoorsman. How did that expedition go?
4: It went fantastic. I've never seen Banks Lake look like that for a long time, especially in March. I mean, it was absolutely glass calm gorgeous day the fish weren't biting real well but the presentation had a lot to do with it so it it wasn't really good but it was a fantastic day to be
1: out i understand you were kind of kicking yourself when you got off the water because you didn't have a brand new lure that max has come out with the smile blade slow death pro i know about the smile blade slow death rig but why don't you tell our listeners about the slow death pro
4: well, John, the Slow Death Pro is actually the same type of setup as the original Slow Death hook. This is a Slow Death hook from Mustad that actually has glow paint. And we downsized the Smile Blade, went down to a 0.8 Smile Blade with uh, number three and number four beads on it. So it's just a very, very small profile with a
1: glow hook. When would you fish this versus a larger spinner harness?
4: Well, for out here, especially in the Pacific Northwest, this time of the year, the fish are really lethargic. One of the reasons we didn't do real well on banks, it was because of the fact that the water was 38 degrees. So the fish are really lethargic. They're not going to chase stuff. You need a small, small profile, and you've got to fish really slow. And I just kicked myself because we just got these in right after I got back.
1: All right. When you need to slow things down, whether it be for cold water or whether it be for really clear water, consider the Smile Blade Slow Death Pro from Max. You can find it online at MaxLure.com in a sporting goods store near you. I'm Bob Loomis, and I fish for walleye.
4: Sometimes when I'm out on the water, I feel like a destroyer captain hunting for targets with my electronics. I'm not hunting submarines, though. I'm hunting fish, and when I find that big one on the fish finder, I want to make sure she's going to bite. That's where the Smile Blade Slow Death Rig from Max Lure comes in. The Smile Blade spins and flashes at ultra-slow speeds, and the one-of-a-kind red hook keeps that bait moving in a way the fish can't resist. It's the Smile Blade Slow Death Rig. You're the destroyer. This is your depth charge. Only from Max Lure.
3: Sportsman's Warehouse is America's premier outfitter and has the quality gear you need for hunting, fishing, camping, and more. Our knowledgeable and friendly staff will help you find the right products so you get the most out of your time in the field or on the water. In addition to stocking superior clothing and outdoor equipment, we offer in store events and seminars so you can enjoy a successful adventure. Find out more at sportsman'swarehouse.com.
7: Backcountry Hunters and Anglers is the voice for your public lands, waters, and wildlife. From the Canadian Yukon to the Florida Everglades, we're stepping up to conserve North America's public lands, defend our hunting and fishing traditions, and expand access to the outdoors. Find out how you can get involved at backcountryhunters.org.
1: You're back in with Northwestern Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. As you know, we are always trying to recruit new people into the sport. And one of the fastest growing categories is women. They are actively becoming more prevalent as hunters and as anglers. And of course, we got to recruit the kids too. That's why I've got my friend Kristen McGill on the line. She hails from McMinnville, Oregon. She's a single mother and she loves to hunt. She loves to fish and she is teaching her young son, Braden to do the same. Kristen, great to have you on the show.
8: Well, thanks for having me, John. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Well, why don't we start off with you in terms of who influenced you, who mentored you as a hunter and as an angler as you were growing up, or is this something you kind of came into as an adult?
8: You know what? I'm kind of one of those blessed kids that grew up with access to country life, and my dad was the one who, you know, woke me up early in the morning every Saturday to go fishing at the pond and... (laughs) You know, he kept me away from the hunting for a while. You know, for a while, I was just uh, one of the people on the package line, packaging a deer and elk, and I just really just kind of started begging him, Dad, I can handle it. I know what I'm. I know what's going to happen. I know what to see. I really want to go help get this deer. You know, <laughs> uh, so he didn't really dabble too much into the hunting early on. It wasn't until I was 23 that right. I I know.
1: (laughs) So, did you go on your first deer hunt with your dad? Yes. Fantastic. And did you harvest a deer?
8: No, no. My dad likes to take candy wrappers and Snickers and all kinds of things like that with him hunting. Uh, To him, it's it's not necessarily about shooting an animal. It's about the bonding
1: right and i would agree i think that is an important part of it getting back to the fishing side you know when you were growing up as a kid and you was taking you to the local pond what were you catching are we talking bluegill or are we talking trout or something else so
8: um, this pond was actually stocked with bluegill and bass
1: that's always a lot of fun i don't care what age you are if you don't get a thrill out of watching a bobber go down and a bluegill on the line uh, you're not living it's just a ton of fun to do that i don't care what your age is
8: Exactly. Same with bass. Bass are such good little fighters, and they're really easy fish to reel in. So they're great starter fish for kids.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, speaking of which, we've got to talk about a trip you went on last May with a mutual friend of ours, Steve Fleming. He's the owner of Maha Outfitters, longtime owner of Maha Outfitters out of Fossil, Oregon. understand you and Braden had a nice day in his boat fishing the John Day River.
8: Yes. And my dad too. <laughs> it's an annual trip that we take. And my daughter actually caught her first bass uh, with Steve as well. And so this was my son's first fishing trip. And of course it had to be with Steve. It's kind of like a family tradition. So it was amazing. It was great. For those of you that don't know, Steve runs drift boats and the John Day River is a very peaceful calm river. It's not a river that you have to worry about uh, rapids or things like that. However, we went earlier on in the summer or spring, I should say, and waters were still high on the John Day. So Steve, he actually has access to, he calls it a private pond, but this private pond is more like a lake. And I mean, you could fish all day long and never hit the same water, no different than if you were going down a river, right? And it's also great to take kids to a pond type place for, you know, their first little time fishing, you know, first two years. Kind of depends on when you start them, I guess. But, you know, we hopped out of the boat one time and went to check out the goose eggs and rocks and, you know, just explore a little bit, too. So it's nice that you're not just stuck on a boat when You fish with Steve. Even if you were on the river, he would pull over for you no matter what, if you wanted to get out and spend some time. If anybody out there has the the money for a a guide for the first time they take any kids fishing, I would highly suggest Steve's Maha. Um,
1: And does he still cook the shore lunches with his Dutch oven?
8: Oh, my. Um, (laughs) The best. Loving it. And it's just, it's always a hit
1: yes it is all right well let's turn our attention to getting other women into the sport getting kids in the sport i know you've mentored several people when it comes to getting you know your friends into fishing or hunting or your son into fishing or hunting what are some tips you have uh, for people to be successful in this regard
8: in regards to women it's a lot harder it's a lot harder i mean i've had friends for almost 20 years and they have never once picked up a rod with me even on camping trips never once would pick up a rod they have no problem with me taking their kids
0: right. but
8: you know i think that there's something down deep inside of us that triggers this kind of a passion and some people don't have it or they they were never shown it at a younger age to really have that passion yet and sometimes it takes you know really bad situations and kind of a desperate situations for a mom to even think about hunting or fishing So it kind of depends on the person that you're talking with to see what they're interested in or not or why they're reaching out to you, what's making them be interested. Is it because they want to teach their kids and they don't know what to do? Is it because they don't have money for food and they need to get some meat in the freezer? Is it because they want to learn and they want to be the ones who teach their kids? I mean, there's a lot of different possibilities out there and I think the best way to to mentor somebody or to teach them is to narrow down what it is they're looking for and what they need. And I think that that really, really helps narrow down what the best style of fishing and hunting would be for them. Because we all know there's so many different ways to fish. And I mean, depending on where you live, I mean, you can use a crossbow in some places, a regular compound bow, you do a recurve, and then of course, guns. And then what kind of gun? Well, how big is the person, right. you know? What well, kind of animal are they wanting to put in the freezer? Sure. A lot of things go into play there with figuring out what somebody needs without them knowing what they need.
1: Right. I like that. I really like how you, you dive down and try to figure out the motivation before you even suggest a hunting or fishing trip. Uh, we've only got about a minute left, but I do want to talk... A little bit about getting kids involved especially in fishing and hunting and and i think you kind of hit on it you hit on a couple things there number one make it fun number two set them up for success they're going to be catching fish and number three a great way to do that is with a trusted guide so i mean i th- think you you're hitting all the buttons there with braden and and i know you take them fishing yourself as well in fact two of you went out to astoria last year during the buoy 10 fishery didn't you
8: so we sure did i took a couple days off work and you know my little guy to me, I felt he was too young for the big water. Right. So we didn't actually go fishing, but we spent time on the dock, and we interviewed some of the guides that would come in. I had him help clean and wash up their boat, so he got out there with scrub brushes, scrubbing the sides of the boat, hosing down the floors. I finagled one guide to take us out for a <laughs> boat ride, and my son still to this day talks about, The boat ride that he took and does it with that accent. It is the cutest thing.
1: We have got to go. We are simply out of time. I could ask you so many more questions and listen to you all day. But, Kristen, I look forward to getting you on the air again. And in the meantime, folks, if you're out fishing or hunting in Oregon and you see a young woman with her son named Brayden, might well be Chris McGill. Say hi to her, and I'm sure you'll enjoy the conversation as much as we did today. Kristen, thanks so much.
8: Thank you, John.
1: This portion of the show was brought to you by our friends at Cena Sea Seafood. That's the company that delivers premium wild-caught Alaskan seafood right to your door. They catch their fish out of Prince William Sound near Cordova, right off the mouth of the famed Copper River, and you can order sockeye salmon, coho salmon, halibut, chinook, sablefish, and crustaceans too. Soon, very soon, they will have shrimp in stock. And I'm betting that sooner than later, they'll have some of that delicious Alaskan king crab available too. So check out the website at com. That's S-E-N-A-S-E-A, CINAC- and order today. And if you want to save 10%, just use the promo code Outdoors Radio. Again, promo code Outdoors Radio at CNAC.com for 10% off your entire order.
7: Go fishing. Help salmon and make money. You can do it through September 30th by catching northern pike minnow and turning them in for cash. Here's how it works. First, register at a designated station on the Columbia or Snake River. Then, go fishing. At the end of the day, turn in any pike minnow you catch 9 inches or longer and look for the ones with tags worth $500. bucks. you will get vouchers for those pike minnow you turn in, and you mail those in for cash. Find out more at pikeminnow.org.
1: Welcome back to Northwestern Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. Let's say you are a retiree and you have an RV. Or maybe you're not a retiree, but you're just taking a sabbatical, some time off from your regular job and again you own an rv and maybe you want to do something with your time maybe help other people but at the same time kind of relax and have a great time well i've got an opportunity for you washington state parks is looking for park hosts at their state parks and with us here to tell you more about this opportunity is valerie roberts she is in charge of the volunteer program for washington state parks valerie welcome to the show
9: Thank you so much. Happy to be here.
1: So let's talk about becoming a park host. I always assumed that park hosts, when you rolled into a state park to the campground, they were the ones with the RV, with the sign out front. If you had questions or maybe you wanted to buy ice or firewood, they were the folks to contact. But I was surprised to find out there's other opportunities beyond this. Why don't you explain some of the other park host opportunities out there?
9: Absolutely. Yes. So we have so many amazing parks with great diversity of natural and historical resources available for people to visit. And our park hosts with all aspects of the different types of parks that we have, from traditional work of a park host like helping campers, selling firewood, and keeping campsites clean. But we also have other duties like interpretation and education programs at our historic sites, as well as hosts being able to help with our retreat centers and info centers, large groups. There's something for everyone
1: You actually have uh, some of your park hosts do like guided tours or interpretive work, like you'd see uh, rangers do at national parks?
9: That's true, yes. So as a park host, you can do a whole bunch of things depending on your interests. If you are interested in education or you like to lead nature walks, there's opportunities for you to do interpretive tours on our trails. But also if you're interested in history or if you have a particular part of Washington State that you love the most, we have interpretation opportunities where you can work with school groups or visitors or other interest group. You can help lead birdwatching tours. There's tons of different opportunities.
1: Oh, this sounds absolutely fabulous. Now, these are volunteer positions. They're not paid, but one of the big benefits is you do get to camp for free at a Washington State Park. Is the Longyear Park Host. Question I have, though, how long are you committed as a park host? I mean, do you have to basically stay the whole summer, the whole spring, or the whole fall, or how long do you stay?
9: great question. We ask that our park hosts commit to 30 days at one park. They can volunteer for us at one park for up to 90 days, though. During that time, our park hosts commit to giving about 28 hours of volunteer service each week. That normally looks like five days of volunteering for about five to six hours a day.
1: Oh, that's not bad at all. I mean, you're not asking too much. So let's talk about some of the work they do. Let's say you're the traditional park host that, you know, is selling firewood and selling ice. Obviously, that's part of it. Ask Answering questions for people coming into campgrounds. What else do those park hosts do?
9: With those 28 hours of volunteer work per week, that normally looks like volunteering during the most peak hours that we need help at the park. So that's when campers are checking in. And it it tends to look at Like over the weekend, you might have one weekend day, depending on the number of hosts we have per park site. The additional activities that you would be doing beyond selling firewood and getting campers settled in, which is a huge portion of what we really need help with, helping making sure that everyone's visit is really good and they have people that they know as a resource to answer questions. But we also ask that our park hosts clean campsites or help us keep trails clean. You can help work on bigger projects like helping repair or build picnic benches, You can also work in the Welcome Center or the Info Center. It really depends on the park and what opportunities there are, as well as your interests and what you would like to help with. And we're happy to help find the right volunteer opportunity for each individual host.
1: Well, this sounds like a a wonderful opportunity. Here's another question for you. In terms of working at particular parks, let's just say I wanted to do this. Could I say, hey, I want to work at, we'll just say, I'm throwing out some different parks here, Fort Casey State Park on Woodby Island for 30 days, and then I'd like to work at Deception Pass for 30 days, and then I'd like to go east and work at Palouse Falls State Park for 30 days. Assuming there's openings, do you have park hosts that do that very thing?
9: Yes, we do, absolutely. So Park hosts can volunteer all summer or even all year if they would like to, traveling around the state and hosting for different parks. We just ask for that 30-day commitment per park, and then we can't have volunteers staying for more than 90 days at each park. So if you would like to do a full-year hosting, we'll have you explore different areas of Washington State and move around different parks.
1: Okay. Now, there are actually like 140 state parks when you include the marine areas and historic sites in Washington State. Where are there openings this spring and summer that our listeners could get excited about applying for?
9: We have over 80 parks currently with host opportunities throughout all of Washington State, from the islands all the way to the Idaho border. The majority of our current host opportunities are in eastern Washington, the Spokane area, Chelan, the Okanagan Highlands, the Blue Mountains, and more. There's so many parks that you can host at. We have a list of our current openings on our volunteer page on the Washington State Parks website, so you can go to parks.wa.gov. Click on the volunteer button and you can find a list of all of the host opportunities.
1: Well, there you go, folks. Again, if you are taking some time off from your regular job or maybe you're retired and want to give back and still enjoy yourself and you own an RV, this may well be a wonderful opportunity for you, especially if you're a people person. One more time with the website, Valerie.
9: Absolutely. You can go to parks.wa.gov and click on that volunteer button. There is a park host Web page where it has all of the information, how to apply for the host opportunity, as well as a list of all the parks that we have current openings.
1: Okay, there you go, folks. Become a park host this summer. And if you don't live in Washington, you can still apply to be a Washington park host. And check out your other states, too. All the states are looking for park hosts, and you can get involved. You can have a wonderful time this spring, summer, fall, or even winter at a state park near you. Valerie, thanks for sharing this with us today on Northwestern Outdoors Radio.
9: Thank you for having me.
1: Speaking of help wanted opportunities, our friends at Sportsman's Cove Lodge on Prince of Wales Island in Southeast Alaska, they're still looking for an experienced charter boat captain to join their fleet of five other boat captains. And this is a a fantastic opportunity. If you are a US Coast Guard licensed charter boat captain who can take up to six passengers out, you really ought to look into this. A lot of the captains have been there for years. These openings don't come up very often. And if you prove yourself, you're going to be invited back, and I'm pretty sure you're going to want to come back. In addition to this, the accommodations are very good. The meals are fantastic. You'll be eating the same meals the guests are because you'll be eating with them. And the setting? Wonderful. It's a remote setting on Prince of Wales Island. You're surrounded by wildlife both on land and in the sea, and the fishing is fantastic. We are talking salmon, we are talking halibut, we are talking cod, and more. And oh yes, let's not forget the compensation. You will be well paid and you will receive generous tips from the clientele who are going to appreciate you and come back year after year. As a matter of fact, they're completely sold out this year. That's how popular this place is with the guests. In addition to looking for a charter boat captain, Sportsman's Cove Lodge also has openings for their hospitality team and on their maintenance crew. So whether you are a salty dog of a charter boat captain or just looking for some great seasonal employment in Alaska, consider Sportsman's Cove Lodge for this summer. The job's going to last from late May through mid-September, and it's an experience you won't soon forget. Find out more at alaskasbestlodge.com. Go to the Contact Us page and look for employment opportunities. Again, the website is alaskasbestlodge.com, and if you are a charter boat captain, reach out directly to the owner, Captain Mac McClory. He will want to speak personally to you.
0: Go fishing, make money, help out, and have fun. That's what the Northern Pike Minnow Sport Reward Fishery is all about. From May 1st through September 30th, catch Pike Minnow out of the Columbia and Snake Rivers and turn them in for cash. Pike Minnow eat juvenile salmon and steelhead. Each one you catch helps more juvenile fish reach the ocean. Pike Minnow are worth anywhere from 5 to 8 bucks. and keep an eye out for tagged fish worth $500. Find
6: out more at pikeminnow.org and go fishing! Located in the northeast corner of Oregon, Wallawa County offers a unique destination rich in natural beauty and outdoors recreation. Enjoy the clear waters of Wallawa Lake. Take a tram to the top of Mount Howard for million dollar views. Hike or ride into the Eagle Cap Wilderness. And fish or raft the Wallawa and Grand Ronde Rivers. It's all waiting for you in beautiful Wallawa County. Plan your visit today at WallawaCountyChamber.com. That's WallawaCountyChamber.com.
4: Are you looking for a game changer to help you catch more trout, kokanee, and salmon? No problem. Just tie on Max Crip Lure. Cast it or troll it. Either way, its specially designed ring chamber emits a low frequency vibration with its erratic movement. It will catch more fish and make them strike. Better still, the different colors for the lure can be matched to just about any fishery. Look for the Crip Lure from Max Lure Company at a sporting goods store near you or go online at maxlure.com.
7: Sportsman's Warehouse is America's premier outfitter and has what you need as a hunter, angler, hiker, paddler, camper, and outdoors enthusiast. They also carry an extensive assortment of firearms and ammunition you simply can't find anymore at many big box stores. On top of that, their knowledgeable staff is here to help you purchase the right gear so you can get the most out of your outdoor experience. Visit your local Sportsman's Warehouse store today or shop online anytime at sportsmans.com.
4: From a bull elk ripping a bugle across a valley to wingbeats on a duck marsh, public lands and waters are integral to our outdoor heritage. Become a member of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers and stand up for our public lands and waters. Visit backcountryhunters.org today.
0: We've got time for one more shot of Northwestern
1: Outdoors Radio with John Cruz. Welcome back. If you're tuning in this weekend from the great state of Wyoming, you might want to head to a wildlife habitat management area near you. The reason? Shed antler hunting opens up this Sunday, May 1st at 6 a.m. on those wildlife habitat management areas throughout western and southern Wyoming, specifically the Grays River, Camp Creek, Horse Creek, South Park, Half Moon, Soda Lake, Fall Creek, and Luke Lynch wildlife habitat management areas. The gates will open up at 6 a.m. and there's going to probably be a flood of people heading into those areas looking for deer antlers and elk antlers and some of them will keep them as trophies. Others will sell them, but it's just a very popular thing to do. It's not allowed in Wyoming until May 1st on public lands in western and southern Wyoming. So if you're looking for something to do, head on out, look for some shed antlers. It's a great way to spend the day. And if you're going to be doing this, you're going to need a good pair of hiking or hunting boots and the place to go for that is your local sportsman's warehouse store with over 126 around the nation there's bound to be one near you but if there's not for some reason you can always order online anytime at sportsmans.com check out all the great boots they have from some of the best known manufacturers out there and now it's time for your sportsman's warehouse trivia question of the week and It's about deer, which seems fitting based on our last story. West of the Cascades, we've got black-tailed deer. East of the Cascades and into the Rocky Mountains and all the way into the plains, you'll find white-tailed deer. And then there's that other deer species, the mule deer. Here's your question. What part of their body resembles a mule so much that they got the name Mule Deer. If you think you know the answer, you know what to do, go to our website at northwesternoutdoors.com and shoot us an email through the Contact Us page, or if you do Facebook, go to our Facebook page. You'll find that at Northwestern Outdoors Radio. If you haven't already, please like and follow our page. That actually helps us out quite a bit. And then go to the post thread where we have this question and let us know, why is the Mule Deer called a Mule Deer? One lucky person who guesses right will win that $25 gift card we give away every week from America's premier outfitter, Sportsman's Warehouse. All right, it is unfortunately time to go. The hour always passes way too quick. I'd like to thank our great guests today Amanda, Kristen, and Valerie. Also, our long standing guests, Bob Loomis and David Sparks. They always provide some great information for you, too. Until next time, do take care, God bless, and make it a point to spend some time outdoors.